Coaches, what is up? Welcome to Keep Your Pads Down, your podcast for all things defensive line play. And this is episode number 47. Happy President's Day to you as well. Hopefully you're enjoying a day off. We actually are on winter break here, so we are out of school for the entire week, which is awesome. So whatever it is you find yourself doing today, thank you for bringing us along with you. If this is your first time tuning in to KYPD, we release episodes every Monday, and typically how this show goes is we bring on a guest, usually a defensive line coach, but but not always, and, and we talk some shop. And, and over the course of our 47 episodes, I would venture to say there isn't much concerning defensive line play that we haven't covered. So if you are, in fact, a defensive line coach, go back and check out our other episodes. And, and if you're looking for a certain topic, check out the show notes for each episode to see the specific topics that we cover in that particular show. Hey, if you're not a defensive line coach, that's cool. We have stuff for you as well. We have episodes where we talk with strength coaches, tackling experts, defensive coordinators, guys who coach other positions, guys who aren't even coaches. So be sure to go back and check those out. Also, while you're at it, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Now, I don't I don't, I don't usually do this, but uh, I'm really excited about next week's episode. I'm going to get to this this week's episode here in a second, but I want to look ahead uh, to next week's episode, episode number 48, because it's going to be really unique in the fact that for the first time in the history of KYPD, we're going to be talking to not a coach, but a current football player, bringing them on the show. And, and I won't say anything more about, about it than that, except that it's going to be a, a great episode. I'm really excited for you to hear it. So be sure to check back with us next week for episode number 48. Now, speaking of great episodes, we have another one lined up for you today. I mentioned at the beginning of the year that we would be talking with a handful of high school coaches whose teams won a state championship in 2019, and that's exactly what we're doing today with Shadow Creek High School defensive line coach Kevin Drones. Now, Shadow Creek is a 5A school. Well, they were 5A uh, until this year, uh, a couple weeks ago with a new realignment, so they'll now be 6A uh, starting in uh, the 2020 season. Uh, But they're located in Pearland, which is in the greater Houston area. And get this, 2019 was the Sharks' second season of varsity football. They are a brand-new school, and in their two years of existence of playing varsity football, they have an astonishing 31-1 and record. Now, if you're a hockey fan, you remember a couple years ago uh, when, when the Las Vegas Golden Knights and they're, they're an expansion team, and in their first year as a team, they made it all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. Well, that's kind of what, the, what, what Shadow Creek did. In their first year of varsity football in 2018, the Sharks came out of nowhere to reel off 15 straight wins in a rugged district filled with perennial powers. And they made it all the way to the 5A Division I state championship game where they faced off against Highland Park, coming up just short against the Scots in 2018. But the Sharks proved in 2019 that they were more than just a one-hit wonder, again, running a perfect record in this year's 5A Division I state championship game, this time against another traditional heavyweight in Denton Ryan. And this year, the Sharks got it done. Uh, in dramatic fashion, by the way, it came down to the to the last play of the game, and and, and really uh, one of those one of those just outstanding Texas high school football state championship games. Uh, but this year, the Sharks were able to bring home the uh, 5A Division One title in just their second year of varsity football. Have I said that already? I think I might have said that already. But it's just so amazing uh, that those guys have been able to do that, and the success that they've been able to experience in just uh, this young in, in, in the school's history. So today we talk with Coach Drones about the Sharks' unbelievable two-year run. Uh, he gives some outstanding advice on coaching your kid, something he knows uh, a lot about since he is a coach's kid and his son Kyron is a Sharks' starting QB, and, and he's a dynamic one at that. So we talk about that. We also talk about Shadow Creek's odd front and a couple of their best drills that they use to help them be so successful against the run. Now, Coach Drones is a Galveston guy uh, where he went to Ball High School and played for his dad, Jerry Drones. After graduating from Southwest Texas, or Texas State as we now know it, Coach Drones got his start in coaching at Houston Westfield High School where he was a part of four district titles, one state championship appearance in 2004, a run of the semifinals in 2005, and two regional finals appearances as well. From there, Coach Drones went back home to coach at Ball High School, where he was a defensive coordinator and linebackers coach, before making stops at Decaney and Pearland High Schools. 
and then Coach Drones moved over to Shadow Creek before the 2018 season. I really enjoyed Coach Drones' perspective on things as both the son of a football coach and, and someone who has the privilege of coaching his own son. And he, uh, again, gives some great advice for you guys who are currently coaching your own kid or hope to do so one day. So anyway, with all of that being said, let's go ahead and jump in today's episode, episode number 47 with Coach Kevin Drones on KYPD. Coach Drones, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, Coach, it is a uh, has been a gr- outstanding two years for you there at Shadow Creek, and and you guys have had just an unbelievable amount of success, especially for a a, a fledgling program. But you, you are a Galveston guy, and, and now you find yourself coaching somewhat close to home there in Shadow Creek. But give us a rundown of how your coaching journey uh, got started, and and how you and how you moved through that up to this point. Now now being at Shadow Creek. Well, I was. I was fortunate to be coached by my dad. My dad was my head football coach in Galveston. Um, and the defensive line coach, like his defensive coordinator, was like an uncle to me. So um, I actually gave a presentation today to the kids and, and told them I was I was probably raised in the field house. Yeah, um, yeah. And go to daycare and things like that. So um, I was always around it, always – you know, rode the bus back with them and, and things like that. When I um, when I played there, um, I ended up missing my junior year. I had a blood clot right as I was getting ready to start and missed that whole year. The next year I was able to come back and end up signing with Texas Southern and played a year there and got another blood clot. And they didn't know why I was getting them, so I, I stopped and I transferred to Texas State and I finished just academically there. So it was always in the back of my mind that I wanted to be around the game because my dad just completed uh, this year was his first year fully retired. So he worked 46 years. Oh, wow. So when I got out of school, my dad kind of tried to steer me away from coaching, which was kind of funny. But I kept finding myself doing things to get closer to sports and being around kids. So I took a job at the YMCA being the youth sports director, and um, but I found myself doing more budgets and and not around the game, but more around the office part. So uh, when my dad got the head job at um, Aldi MacArthur, that's when I decided I was going to get into teaching. And I um, worked on my teaching um, through Prayer View. And while I was doing that, he didn't know um, necessarily want me to be on the staff while I was doing that. So I just took a job and I had volunteered with him. So I was in the box charting plays and, and going to practice and helping. And uh, while I did that, uh, I was going to take a job there. and They wouldn't allow me to because of nepotism. So I had a house being built on the north side of Houston thinking I was going to go work with my dad. And so I had to find a place. And just so happened, uh, my dad had coached against uh, Coach Lynch, Ron Lynch, and Coach Lynch was at Westfield. So I called called him. They were in spring ball. He told me to come out. And uh, that's how I got started. So I ended up taking a job at their new junior high. And I coached eighth grade B and C team football. Yeah, wow. That was the first time I coached. And uh, loved it. You know, uh, we had those games, those C-teamers that probably never played more than probably the next year. Uh, but it was fun. Uh, had a lot of a lot of good times there. It was been a year. And then uh, Coach Meekins, Corbin Meekins, got the job the following year and brought me on as the freshman coach. And I ended up being the head freshman coach that year and uh, called the defense. And then the following year, I got moved up to the varsity. And um, during that first year at Westfield, we went to the state championship. Lost to Tyler Lee, 28-21, won a pick six. And uh, the next year we went to the semis. So I stayed there six years. Um, coached the DN, 
and then um, got a chance to go back home and be in Galveston, um, be defense coordinator with Coach uh, David Sub. And I stayed there two years, um, and then Coach Sub got relieved, as well as the AD. I went to Baytown Sterling, and then um, stayed there for a year. And then I had the opportunity to um, go back to spring to Decaney. And I got there spring after they won the state championship. And um, I, Coach Amadola was there. He was the head coach. And Coach Amadola was the defense coordinator when I was at Westfield. So I went back to work with Coach Amadola. A year later, he took the assistant AD job. So the following year, I wanted to get closer to home. My wife um, was having some, had some health issues. And uh, we wanted to get back closer south. My parents are in League City. And her her family is in Angleton. So we're kind of in the middle now, right here in Shadow Creek in Pearland. So we were trying to get closer this way and um, had an opportunity to come work for Coach Heath at Pearland. And I took it and stayed there four years. And Coach Heath retired. And I ran into Coach Green and Coach Butler and started talking to them and I was trying to find the best place for my family. My daughter uh, was going to junior high. My son at the time was in the ninth grade. And um, I just wanted a place that felt like home and that he could be comfortable in and my daughter could be comfortable. And um, it worked out. We came to Shadow Creek. It's worked out. That first year we signed ourselves in the state championship and came up a little short. And, um, you know, this year we were able to go finish it. Yeah, coach, it definitely worked out for you, and and I think that one thing that's that's really cool is is you know you mentioned that you uh, got to play for your dad, yeah. and and I never did that, never had that experience, and I know a lot of coaches didn't, some did, but uh, not only did you get to to be coached by your dad, but you now in turn get to coach your son, who's the quarterback for y'all, and and, and is an outstanding uh, outstanding quarterback to boot. So talk about that and what it's been like to to have that experience of being coached by your dad, that dynamic, and then now turn around and 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 coach your son. It's spe- it's special, but I think I try to take things that I remember. You know, whether I felt like it was things I would change, um, and I try to keep that in mind. You know, because I had that unique experience of being the coach's kid, and now the dad. So um, I know I tried to separate it um, when we were at school. Uh, Kyron, we kind of – I do a lot to make him feel comfortable where I don't try to hover over him or things like that. And he's done a good job of just taking care of his business. Um, I try to be a a shoulder – and a, and a soundboard for him. Um, I'm fortunate because I don't coach coach him and his side of the ball. Um, I think that would be probably more nerve-wracking. Yeah. Uh, that's another reason I didn't want to be on the field. You know, I, I asked that when I first came, can I be in the box? I was in the box the last part, last two years at Paraland. And the other reason, we have a, a younger staff. And I felt like I could be of some help in the box, um, just overall with some time management, things like that. Yeah. Um, with the experience level. So, and the, the selfish reason that I told Butler that first year, said so the selfish reason is if I'm down, uh, when the defense is off the field, my back will be turned. Yeah. So yeah. At least I get to see it. I can still communicate with the sideline, but I at least get to watch it. Right. So, from a selfish standpoint, um, it it works out for us. It was great this year because my dad was able to be at every game. Kern actually had a routine where he went there the night before the game, and my dad gave his input. And um, so it's kind of he gets the best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes um, it's funny because I have some of we were at the Lone Star Clinic, and I had some of those coaches laughing that. Know my dad, and they're like, "How is he? How's he doing?" You know, with retirement. I said, "Well, if I can get him to stop texting me in the box during the game, we'll be fine." <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Well, yeah, again, what a what a, an awesome experience for your son to be able to have his dad and, and his granddad as, as coaches and, and have, have you guys as soundboards and support systems. I, I have to ask this, though. You're the D-line coach. He's the quarterback. Is there ever a time in practice where, you know, you got your D-line guys keyed up to, you know, maybe go give him a shot or something like that? I mean, maybe if he didn't make up his bed that morning, you know, maybe you get one of your DNs to kind of go <laughs> give him a shot or something or – Oh, well, I like my job. And, uh, <laughs> Coach, Coach Butler's run the office, and he's, he's over the quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, we're not touching quarterback. Yeah, I got you. Uh, there's times in the in the spring where we come after him, like, oh, you're lucky you got that shirt on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And I imagine there's, there's your, you know, y'all, y'all do your fair share of tra- uh, trash talking there at the house, you know, if the offense had a really good day, especially in spring ball. You know, offense was showing out one day and – or maybe the defense was showing out one day. I, I imagine that there's 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 uh, so a little bit of trash talking going on at the house. Oh, it does. It happens, and when his friends come over, uh, I have to hear when they have a good day. Yeah, and uh, you have to hear when we have a good day. Yeah, yeah, of course. I tell you, just, just remember, you're the one that you had that red shirt on for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you talked about how your dad kind of discouraged you from from getting into coaching, but you got in anyway. Uh, is that something you know? If your son, I don't, and I don't know what he wants to do, but if he has he expressed an interest in coaching, and if so, was that something you would push him towards or, or discourage him from? How do you feel about that? Uh, if he wanted to do it, I wouldn't discourage him. Um, I think my dad did it um, for health reasons. Like he wasn't sure because. Like I said, they didn't know why yeah. I got the two blood clots. And his concern was it's a lot of time on your feet. It's a lot of time stretch-wise. And that was his concern, not so much getting into it. It was just, you know, health reasons. Are you going to be okay with the demand? Right, right. Uh, once I got in, um, he's been more than supportive. Uh, you know, our coaching school, when we go to coaching school, the best part of coaching school for me is to walk around with you. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and that's our time kind of away. Um, you know, after we get done with the, the seminars and we go back to the room and I usually have other coaching friends that come over and, and we get him in the room and we just talk ball. Yeah. And, you know, and tell stories and things like that, and that's a great that's a great time for me. Yeah, um, I would imagine. As far as you know, coaching, he's been you know helpful. When I got the first coordinator job in Galveston, I would go there on um, Thursday nights. Sometimes during the week, if it was you know if I wasn't comfortable or you know just had questions and wanted to sound some stuff, and he may go in the garage and pull out a crate and. You know, pull out an old Manila folder, and I remember we were playing a wishbone team. We were playing Coach Lanier over at Clearbrook. Um, Lanier had been in Galveston when my dad was at Lamarck, and um, he went in the garage and came back with a full size Manila folders. And he pulled out this blitz that they used on Lanier, and um, we ended up putting it in. And uh, that night, I remember it was, if you were on the hash mark and, you know, in third down situation, third short, they ran this. And we ran it the first time and got a turnover. Wow. And later in the ball game, we ran again and got a stop on fourth down. And I called Dad after the game, right after the game. We are in the locker room. And I said, Dad, and they called it one for Lanier, or one for Paul is what they called it. And I said, one for Paul still works. <laughs> so, uh, it um, like I said, he's he's been more than supportive uh, since I've been in, yeah, and, and been very helpful to me and and whatever staff I've been on, yeah, yeah. That's that's really really cool, and 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 just again, how awesome that is to to be able to. Uh, you know, to, to have those conversations with your dad. And, and I know that he probably loves that and loves being able to live through uh, you and, and your grandson and, and, and his grandson, so your son, and, and sharing that experience and the success that y'all have had, especially these last two years. So I have I have two sons, two, two young sons. Um, would, would love to be able to coach them one day. 
and, and I know there are a lot of coaches out there who have sons that, 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 that might be fortunate enough to get to coach them one day. What advice would you give to those guys about coaching their own sons? The thing I tell any advice I would give, I've had people ask me this before, and the main thing I tell them is let your kids compete. Don't try to pave the road for them. Let them compete and find their way. Um, you know, when I when I was looking to leave Pearland, uh, we had a talk this weekend, and when I was looking to leave Pearland, I could have chose a, a route that Kyron was gonna could have played or started as a sophomore. But I Kyron wanted to play. He wants to play Division One football. Um, and at the time when we were getting ready to leave, he wants to play Division One sports. Period. You know, because he plays basketball as well. Now it's football, but at the time he didn't know because he was a freshman on the varsity basketball team. But my thing was, I'm not going to make I'm, I'm that decision is not going to be based on sports. It's not going to be based on what's the easiest path for him. We're going to go to the best all-around place that's best for our family. Um, and then wherever we go, I want to make sure there's people there that are going to push you because when he gets to the next level, you're going to be pushed. Yeah. Nothing's going to be given to you. They're not going to, they're going to recruit you and the next year they're going to recruit somebody to try to take your place. Yeah. So you've been given something throughout the time just because I'm on the staff, somebody you know is on the staff that knows me and they give you something, then they're doing your disservice at the next level. Yeah, yeah. Because you're not going to understand how to compete. You're not going to understand how to compete when times get hard in, in games. Right. Because things have been given to you. Right. And you're not going to appreciate it. So that's my biggest thing. When I was playing for my dad, I told him early, the only award I wanted my senior year was the academic award because it's the only award the coaches didn't have anything to do with. Yeah. You just went to the counselor's office, whoever had the highest GPA and the highest class rank that had been in the program four years, got the award. And that's the award I got. Wow. I didn't want an award that the coaches voted for because I didn't want anybody to say, oh, of course he was going to get that. Yeah. Yeah. He was going to go earn it. That's why I've never wanted to be in any of parents' meetings. I remember as a freshman, when he was a freshman, they got ready to start talking about the you know, offensive depth chart for our freshman team. And I left because I'm like, I don't have anything to do with offense. And I don't want to be in this meeting. Because whatever y'all decide, y'all decide. You know, last year when Kyron was a sophomore, I never once talked to the offensive staff. You know, when he wasn't playing, and that's what I try to tell parents. Things are going to happen when they're supposed to happen. You know, no coach has it in for your, your child. Nobody, a coach wants to win, and we're going to get the win first. And we're not going to sabotage, not personal. So if your child's not playing because somebody else is doing good or somebody else is maybe older and his turn, eventually it'll come out like yeah. it's supposed to come out. And, you know, Kyron, Kyron was kind of down. It was the first time he didn't play last year. He didn't have a problem with that. You know, uh, I told him, eventually, whenever your time comes, you just have to be ready. And that's it. That's my advice. Just let him compete. And don't try to, um, don't try to make it easy for him. Coach, we could we could stop this podcast right now and shut this thing down, and and that alone right there would be worth the time that that you know any any coach listening to this uh, is spending taking time to listen to this podcast. I mean, that is a great answer and a really difficult thing, especially when it comes to our kids, because you know we know how we are as coaches coaching someone else's kids, but then we get our parent goggles on. And, and again, my kids are little, so they're not really in sports yet or anything like that, but I can just imagine that's a difficult thing to do is, is to, to not intervene and to allow your, your kid to compete. And that's, that is just invaluable advice. And, 
obviously it's it's serving serving you well and and uh, so that's that's great advice there that that uh, we as coaches who will coach our kids need to uh, definitely need to, to take to heart. So let's let's talk about uh, about your run there at Shadow Creek as as I mentioned in the opener, uh, you guys are this is your just wrapped up your second year. Uh, second year of football, and and as you mentioned, you know you lost in the state championship last year in 2018, and then went back and won it again this year in a really uh, uh, an awesome championship game there over Denton Ryan. Talk about the things that you and your staff did as you were building up the program there at Shadow Creek that has helped you experience so much success in these first two seasons. Well, I think you know I would, we, of course I wasn't there the first two years, but. The one thing that I've heard Coach Butler say, and he's, you know, he expressed it, they always, from day one, set a sight on the state championship. They didn't shy away from that. I think the kids benefited the last two years. And if you watch how we played, they benefited from having that chip on their shoulder because they didn't play a varsity schedule the first two years and all the travel they had to do. They weren't put in a district. You know, a lot of times when new schools open, they play a sub-varsity in the district that they would possibly be in. Right. So they didn't have that luxury. So they had to go to Marshall in East Texas. They had to go to San Antonio. They had to play in Midland. Oh, they wow. They had to go to Sealsby to play games. And it served them well, and it was – it's funny because it was kind of fitting this year. Those last three rounds when we had to go to San Antonio and spend the night in the fourth round, turn around and go back to San Antonio in the fifth round on a one-day trip, turn around and go to Dallas and play in the state championship. And when that was happening, um, when we were playing in San Antonio in the fourth round and we knew if we played Wagner – we're going to have to go to San Antonio because they came to Houston the year before. And I told Brad, I said, well, it's only fitting that this group of seniors, the first class that's gone all the way through, finishes on the road the way they started. Yeah, yeah. Finish on, finish the way they started. And they did. And I think putting them in situations, making them travel, helped us where they never flinched. You know, as freshmen, a lot of those kids were on the, what they call the varsity, you know. They played a lot of, they played a lot of JV teams. They played some varsity teams. But they were put in situations at an early age where when we were down in the third round, we're down 24-7 at halftime. And if you walked in a locker room, a lot of people have asked me, what was it like? I said, if you walked in a locker room, you'd have thought we may be down three. Yeah. It was it was, it was a normal locker room. Yeah. And they had been in that situation before with that same team. You know, we were down 34-7 to seven with 16 seconds left in the third quarter and came back and beat them 35-34. Wow. That'd be the year before. So they were calm. And it was like, we know what we have to do. You know, as we were talking to them from a staff standpoint, they just not, they were just nodding their head. Like, we got you. And they went out and played lights out. But I think that was from all the travel and nobody knowing them and, and having that chip on their shoulder. And I think it just, they, you know, the attack, compete, finish. They bought into that. I think that's a testament to that staff. So let, let's go back to uh, last last season, uh, where you, mm-hmm. you start you start you you start playing your first varsity season, and and remind me what was your record in 2018? I think did y'all lose the, just the one game in the state championship game? Yeah, we we're 15 and one. Okay, okay. So you start mm-hmm. uh, you start uh, last season 2018, your first varsity season, and and you win the first game. Okay, and then that's cool. You win the second game and the third, and you start piling these wins on top of each other. What was that like? Because again, I'm sure that y'all probably thought you were you could be pretty good, but I, I doubt that you know running the table all the way up into the state championship game was was probably 
uh, you know, optimistic at best. So talk about that, just that run last year where you guys came out of absolutely nowhere to, to, to really shock the state and, and, and earn a spot in the state championship in your first year of varsity play. I know the first – I was at – when the district came out, I knew I was I was at Paraland still. But I was I had already taken the job. And um, so the district came out, and I remember, you know, seeing Angleton and Foster at High Tower and going, wow, they put us in – Friendswood was in the district. And I'm going, man, they put us in a loaded district. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and you know all these playoff teams, and well, we're gonna see right off the bat how good we are. You know, we're playing six A Summer Creek first, and and then we we'll go to Magnolia, which is which is a Houston area top ten playoff team, and then we got Ellisick, and then we open up district with Angleton. So when we go. You know, we're 3-0 and going into that Angleton game. And, you know, Angleton's coming. They were in Region 4 and had played in the – had two and had played, I guess, in two state semifinals. Yep. They beat Foster in the quarterfinals. So, and, you know, we opened up with them and we're in a new stadium at our place. And we come out and pretty much dominate the game. And – at that point, it was like, okay, we can be pretty good. And then the turning point was being down, like I said, we're down to Foster at home. And it's 34 to 7, 16 seconds left in the third. Goodness gracious. And and we scored to make it 30, 34 to 14. Just kept chipping away. Yeah. Kept chipping away, yeah. getting off the field. And I just kept saying the same thing, you know. Just his coordinator at the time. I mean, he kept asking, like, coach, doing the onside. It's like, no, let's kick it deep, play field position, keep chopping wood, keep chopping wood. And then at the end, we went for the block, he shanked it, and we ended up throwing a pass in the corner end zone and winning 35 34 in regulation. And I think at that point, our kids realized. We can beat anybody. Yeah, yeah. Nothing's impossible. And it happened. And, you know, that year, we came back against them. We had to come back in the playoffs and play them again. We came back again and beat them in the playoffs. We came back and beat Wagner in the playoffs. They rushed for probably, it seemed like they rushed about 400 yards the first <laughs> half. I think it was 250 yeah. in the first half. Yeah. We made some adjustments, and, um, you know, it's hard to simulate that flex bone. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Offense. And, you know, it was just a matter of trying to get them into the locker room. You know, they come out and they score right away, and it's like, golly, just, you know, can't get off the field. If we get off the field, we didn't – I think – we talked about it the other day. I think we had less than 30 snaps in that game. Wow. And end up pulling it out, winning, and then, you know, just kind of – we ran into a good ball club. And we had said, you know, we can't get off to these slow starts because we would have a bad first half and then come back in the second half. You know, kind of had that mark on us that we're a second-half ball club. And we said it all year. Eventually, we're going to run into a team – that's very talented and good and well-coached, and we're not going to be able to turn it on and catch them. And that's what happened in the Highland Park game. Yeah, yeah. Down at halftime and just didn't have enough to come back against a team that was, at the time, two-time defending state champion. Right, right. And I think we learned from that. You know, I remember being on the field when one of our um, Ronald Triplett, our D-Lyman, is going to Kansas State. When he signed the other day, he said his memory was he remembered me telling them I made them all sit on the field and watch them get their trophies, watch them celebrate. And I said, you hang on to it. Don't turn your back. Don't go in the locker room. I want you to look at it. And you hang on to it and you use it as fuel during the offseason to get back here. 
and go finish. And it was a different field this year we went. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about because now, you know, you enter in this year and everybody knows who you are. And you're on everybody's radar. You got a target on your back, and you guys were still able to, to run that gauntlet through the same tough schedule that you went through in 18 and then get all the way back and play uh, another perennial powerhouse out of the DFW area in Denton Ryan. And, and again, that game was back and forth, and, you know, the, the big tight end uh, drops the, the, uh, the, uh, what would have been a touchdown pass there. I believe that was towards the end of the game. Last play. Yeah, that was the last play. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And uh, so so talk about that feeling and what that was like to finally, you know, to come back and get it done after you guys came up short last year and, and they share that experience with your son. Talk about uh, what that was like. Well, the whole year, you know, just you go in the year and, like I said, Karen didn't play very much last year. And the one thing that has been probably the best feeling is, the way they, the group, the team, the staff, has accepted my family and Kyron like we've been here since day one. And, um, you know, for him to take over the reins, and I remember probably the best thing that happened was the Dave Campbell book coming out, and they ranked us behind Foster. Yeah, yeah. And me and Kyron were in the truck. And we're on the way home, and I said, you understand why they ranked us behind Foster? I said, you know, the only reason is you. They don't believe in you. Our whole team's back, except you. You're new. They don't think you can get it done. I said, so, say that and do what you want to do with it, but it's all on you. They don't think you can get it done. Yeah. You can't leave this team. And it was because going into the year, the spring, I assumed with everything that we had back that they would put us up there, you know, right to go back. And when that came out, the whole staff was excited. It was like, great. That gets our kids' attention. Yeah. You know, because the worst thing, you know, what you don't want is – you know, when you're trying to get back, it's okay. We want all the kids to be complacent. And we don't want to think, oh, we're just, we're just, you know, go through emotions and we'll get there. They still don't. They still don't believe you. all the stuff you did last year. And they still don't believe you. And we we harped on. It. So we get through, and once we get the uh, get rolling and we get in the playoffs, all year, those kids are are locked in, and. The whole mission this year was start fast, finish faster. And for the most part, except for one game, and that was the Foster game in the playoffs, we did that. We started fast and, and tried to finish faster and, and get things over with. I think I ended up, I was telling somebody the other day, I think he played in five fourth quarter games this year out of 16. Wow. You know, we got, it was something different. It was a different feel. Kyron mentioned it. Kids have mentioned it to me. The D line has mentioned it. It was a different feel. Last year when we went, it was the first time we went to the game the night before. We we watched it. This year, it was just about us. We worked out at Shadow Creek. We got on the bus. Went to Dallas. Put our stuff in the room. We went eight. We came back. And it was got in the bed, got up the next morning, had our meetings, ate breakfast, had our meetings. It was it was the only concern was us and going to going to take care of business. And you yeah. could feel it. You could feel the confidence in the kids. You know, last year was about taking everything in, taking the moment in, and making it special. This year was about let's go get this ring, go finish. Well, that's awesome, Coach, and and again, just an uh, an unbelievable run for for a, for a team that in its inaugural season to go all the way to the state championship game, and then for you guys to make it all the way back. You know, it's such a difficult thing to do in the state of Texas. Uh, you already mentioned some of the teams that you guys have to play, 
And, and so uh, really just an unbelievable feat for you guys to, to pull that off. Let's let's talk about your defensive front there. Uh, you guys are uh, – you've been extremely stingy these past two seasons uh, defensively. Y'all are in an odd front. What are some things you feel like your guys have been really good at over these past two seasons that have allowed you to be so successful? I think our kids play extremely well with their hands, extremely physical. They move well, um, very coachable defensive standpoint. Our defense coordinator, Ray Garza, does a great job. And we keep it it's, – it's almost like we keep it simple so our kids can play fast. We – we do the same things. We we run counter drill ten to fifteen minutes every day from week one to the eighteenth week of practice. We run counter drill. Where and it is different every week according to who we're playing. But we're gonna know where to fit regardless of how they block us. I think that's why we've been so successful in in, in stopping the run. Yeah. And, you know, when you can stop the run, we can – we've been fortunate enough to be able to rush the passer with three to four guys. Uh, it helps the back end. Right, when of course. quarterback doesn't have a lot of time to, to sit back and pat the ball. And they, the DBs believe that they, that ball is going to come out. They can be a little bit more aggressive knowing that they, that front's not going to give them a whole lot of time. Right, you know, and I think we always say it. It starts with the with both lines. You have a good offensive line, a good defensive line on your team. You got a chance to play for a little bit. Yeah, of course. Um, and from a defensive standpoint, if your front can handle the run and rush the quarterback with three to four, then the back end is going to be pretty good. Walk me through counter drill and what that looks like and the setup and, and what you guys are coaching up with that through your counter drill. So the front seven, we do it against our scout team, um, and it's it's run fit. So Coach Garza is telling the O-line, and we have – we use their calls, um, whatever they call counter or whatever that scheme is. So they, they have – we get a lot of reps because – we're not having to show cards all right. the time. Um, so typically on a Monday, our scout team, which is our JV, will go out during fifth period and go through scout plays. So they'll have an understanding of what we're doing when we get out. So when we get over there, um, we'll do individual, and then our scouts come down and we'll start. Uh, we'll go in the back of the end zone and work our counter drill. And it's not a tackle. It's just a fit. So uh, we're fully padded. We'll go through. We'll steal um, and make sure that we're fitting correctly. And we just sit up running backs. Um, and but we get we typically in ten ten minutes we'll get both sets, first group and second group, through about twelve plays apiece in that time period. So is this all all like gap scheme stuff or stuff where your guys are spilling like maybe a split zone or, or something like that or is it could it are y'all fitting up stretch or, or inside zone or things like that as well? It's, it depends on who we're playing. Yeah. Um, and what they like to do because every every team we play is going to run. We call it counter drill. It's really it's really our inside run drill. I guess that you want to. You know, technically. Yeah, yeah. But every team we play runs some sort of counter. Right. Um, and so we work all the – any pulling that teams are going to run against us, any split zone they're going to run against us, that's what we work. And we work fits. And we go straight from there to inside run. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a... and that's when we do our inside run, DBs, and the, and the linebackers kind of flip. So they go – they do outside and do uh, their 7-on-7, seven seven, and then we go to team. Okay. But the counter drill goes right into the entire run. So then how are you How are you playing your front three guys? Are they uh, head up fours, four eyes, fives, and then what are you doing with your nose? We're head up. Um, we're head up. Sometimes they'll shade. It just depends on the front. But for the most part, we're head up. 
and a lot of movement. So we're going to slam one way or the other. Um, and we we start off every day, every Monday and Tuesday, we're going to start off on the flag. So we're going to, we're, we're offsetting and we offset the sled. We're stepping right, punching, raising the bag, chopping our feet. So them being good with their hands is just a matter of them repping it. Right. And it becoming muscle memory. So, you know, in a zone scheme where we're, we're slanting one way or the other, they're, they've gotten great at punching and using their hands and using leverage and staying down because they have to because, you you know punching that sled if you're not down and you're not using your leverage you're not looking up yeah yep talk about how you're coaching up slants because you know it's really easy when you get to doing that a lot for offensive lines to wash you down and you to get gap removed and things like that so talk about how you're coaching those slants up to those guys to where those guys are penetrating their gap and not getting washed um I feel like it's the angles. I try to make I tell the, I try to make sure that I'm always looking at their eyes and making sure they're not leaning where we're slanting. Um, and I tell them the O line is picking up on all that. And what ends up happening, and it happened a bunch this year, our older group would get on to the second group and our JV group if they saw them leaning. Yeah. And you're tipping it. You're giving it away. And it, when the when the kids start coaching, then you know something's going good. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, you get your your senior group and your leaders to start coaching it, and it's not just coming from your voice. Then you got something going good. And um, so that's the biggest key is not tipping it. And when we come, we're coming with a purpose. When we slant, we're not we're not slanting. And I don't want them. What ends up happening? I hate when they get horizontal. Right. And we're slanting. We're slanting at an angle, and we're trying to make something happen in that gap. Now, when you slant or you try to shuffle sideways, now you just feed into the O line. Right. Because it's a win for them. Right. So we're trying to penetrate that gap. 45, I tell them, with my ends, we're head up on the tackle. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to go to the hip of the guard. And if he disappears, now I get flat. Right. If he comes at me, I shoot my hand and I ricochet because I'm coming back the other way. You talked about your guys being so good with their hands. What are some drills and things that you're doing to reinforce that, uh, playing with their hands? I think the, the best one is the sled. We do a lot of work with our sled. You know, I'm fortunate. You know, we, have, we have a typical five-man, but then we have a, a five-man that stays planted, and we have where we can raise the bags up. We can lock them if we want to, and they move side to side. So we do a lot of work in staying low, leverage, and playing with hands, and understanding that we can't get our face in. We have to, we have to hit and extend, so we can see and go make a play. Are, are you a stickler about where guys put their hands? Do you have like a kind of exact aiming points that you do you want those guys uh, getting uh, when when they're firing their hands on an offensive lineman? The aiming point, I tell them, we want if we're zoning right. I want my left hand, middle, middle, right hand, shoulder pad, tip of the shoulder pad. That's what you're aiming for. Right, right. You know, I know you're not going to be perfect. My biggest thing is the leverage part. If your head's above his, you're wrong. I want him. I'm looking on film. I'm telling him when you're coming off, especially the ends. When that tackle is trying to come inside and go block and get our linebacker, I need to see his pads go up. That means you've come off the ball and you've delivered a shot. And everything is, you know, when they're going inside, we're going to, we're two shuffles down with you. And I tell them by then that linebacker ought to be gone. But if your hands go to the back of that shoulder pad, 
then all you're doing, you better make the play because now you just hung your linebacker out the draft. How often are you just playing your guys straight up, or they or do they ever read and, and slide into a gap based on the block? Uh, are you slanting those guys most of the time? Most of the time we're slanting. Um, you know, it's rare when you read. We have some situations where if we're slanting away, then that backside in read the tackle. But uh, for the most part, we're slanting one way or the other. And is that is that called uh, with it with within the defensive call, or is it something the kids know which way they're slanting based on how the offense is set up? How how do y'all do that part? It's um it's called it's called based on whatever that week if we're gonna you know we'll call it stronger week, uh, but it's called for them. Okay. Okay. And a lot of that is you know we try to take the thinking away. Right. We want to, like I said, keep it as simple as possible so they're not thinking and they're just running. We want to play fast. So when you're doing your counter drill, are you guys doing that with your guys slanting? No, we're working on slants for the linebackers to see where they're going to fit. Okay, okay. When I was at Pearland, we were in a four-man, and we were in a three-man. We've done both, and I played it where my nose was a, you know, we cross-faced. You know, if we came in, we slanted, they tried to come, we, we would cross face, and the linebacker knew that. And so we played it both ways. But here, we're not big on cross facing. So, you know, the thing with cross face, the linebacker has to trust that you're actually going to do it. Right, right, yeah. So that took a lot of reps when I was at Carolina. And you had to coach the front up so you can't, sometimes do it and then other times not do it right you got to be consistent with it you know so that linebacker knows and he doesn't have to hesitate because he's not sure what you're going to do you know the the pet peeve i have is when a coach has to say the linebacker coach and i was a linebacker i've been a linebacker coach when they have to tell the d-line or tell a linebacker you just make the d-lineman right Yes, yeah. You know, Dad, as a D-line coach, I hate that. Yes. It makes it seem like we don't know what we're doing. That's exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've, so we've talked about that exact same uh, phrase on this on this podcast before in a previous episode where, yeah, that's technically right. Yeah, I mean, but – that that makes us sound like we're a bunch of idiots that don't know what we're doing, and you, you know the linebackers behind us got to go in and clean up our mess every play, and and so yeah, ideally we want our guys to be right, and so those linebackers can fit their gap with confidence and not have to float around and be hesitant and not press their gaps because they don't know where we're going to be. Uh, well, so coach, as we move through this off season now, uh, again, you guys are the defending champs, but I know that you're you're always looking for for ways to improve and and, and reevaluate reevaluating your, your your guys and and looking at maybe some doing some things differently or tweaking some things that you're already doing. So, what are some 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 techniques or aspects of D line play that you're looking uh, into this off season? We're looking at some shading, and then I feel like we need to work on our slants, making sure that we're not ball stepping. Yeah. Like I said, I got a younger group now, but I got to make sure they're not tipping it off. Yeah. Not leaning. And with this younger group, understanding leverage points. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, every year you kind of hit the reset button and, uh, you know, you, you got young guys that you have to you have to get coached up and, and, and reteach them some things. And, and, and that's always, always, a, a, you know, a point of emphasis that you have to make sure you're sticking to, you know, in spring ball and then in fall camp is, is leverage and just those basic things that, you know, that you can't take for granted. Uh, otherwise, things can unravel for you as the season goes on. Um, and, and so I'm curious is, you know, is, is looking at shades and things like that, is that out of necessity or is that just a way to make sure, you know, kind of eat up some gaps right now and make things bounce out? You know, what's, what's the thought process behind that? Just trying to look at it to see, um, you know, with a younger group, if there's a situation where we need to go ahead and put them in the spot. Right. Um, is that going to be better for them? Just trying to see what works better. Yeah. Because yeah. we were fortunate the last two years, you know, had three guys on a D-line that went D1 this year. Yeah. So you're fortunate to have some guys that can play head up 
and and hold up and, and be where they're supposed to be. But just looking from, you know, this is the time to do it in the spring. Can we, if we have to, get in a gap and still hold up and get there if we need to? If we can't get head up and, and that particular kid just can't beat his man, you know, we don't want to lose a gap or be short because I always say we don't we're not fortunate enough like colleges to go pick our kids. Right. We have to be able to adjust to our kids. It's exactly right. Exactly so right. If you don't have a plan for it, the time to do it isn't third round playoffs. Right. And then ask the kids to adjust. We gotta start working on that in the spring. Well, coach, making sure, especially now, when they've given us the extra time in the summer to kind of work on things. I mean, that's that's valuable. Yeah, you're exactly right. You're exactly right, and and I, I think that um, especially as high school coaches, we have to do that and have to constantly you know evaluate who we have and and okay, yeah, we did that. We we're able to do this this last year, but that was with those guys, and those guys aren't here anymore. And we can't just go out and recruit uh, three more guys just like that. You know, now we have these guys, and they're a little bit, you know, they're they're different. They have a different skill set, and so now we need to, you know, tweak what we're doing in order to fit their skills. And that's something we all should be doing, uh, you know, as high school coaches throughout the state as we as we get ready for this next season. Yeah, make sure you're you're, you're doing what they can do, and not what you want to do. That's just exactly right. That's what you've always done. That's exactly right. Well, coaches, we get ready to wrap this thing up. We, we've talked a whole lot about you know these last two seasons that you've had there at Shadow Creek, but I want to focus on on this season, this 2019 season, and and looking back on that season, uh, on this past season, what's what's one or two moments that when you look back on this on this season, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now, one or two things that'll really stick out to you about this past year? Uh, a couple of things. Um, you know, first, the love for the kids and and you know that you know I had the I had the kids over to the house. Um, we moved the Sunday after the state championship. Oh wow! And um, yeah, talk about timing. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you know I had the kids over, and some of the D linemen came over and helped, and they stayed. It was probably eleven eleven thirty when they got ready to leave, and you know we ate pizza and, and just to hear them just talk and. And the way they, like I said earlier, welcomed my family, like we've been there since day one. And, you know, when I got there that spring before their junior year, those kids didn't know me. You know, they, they've been on varsity for two years. So, you know, you have to build that trust when you come into a new situation. And I think, you know, that, that first year they realized he's different. He's going to get on us. But he's going to love us, too, you know. And, and my thing about getting on them, and I, I shared it today with the kids, I was raised like that you yeah. know, in Galveston. But the thing that happened, when you when you get on and I, I get on the, the best ones, because when they go off to school, the first time a coach gets on them, I don't want them running home. Yeah, that's right. Or not knowing what that's like. Because I told my son the other day, much is given, much is, is expected of you. So if you're going to be a good player, coaches are going to have more expectations for you. So when I get on you, that's not when you need to be concerned. When you need to be concerned is when a coach stops talking to you. That's right. Because then he feels like you can't do it. Or he's lost that belief. Yep. So the thing from this year is the love from those guys, those position guys, the closeness with our staff. Um, and then, of course, you know, it's every person's dream who's in this profession who has a son to want to win a state championship with. And, you know, to do it and, and to have our son play a, a significant role in that and, you know, be fortunate enough to be the, the MVP of the game, that was just, I mean, I was at a loss for words after the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, had tears, and it's a lot of ugly pictures out there of me. <laughs> but um, I said, there's a lot of emotion. 
you know, I watched my dad win two state championships and went to three straight in Lamar. And, um, you know, for to go 32 games in the last two years and to see him, you know, come in and, and see what these kids accomplished and their staff accomplished in a short period of time, you know, this, it was unbelievable. It's an unbelievable ride. You know, I want the kids, and that's what we talked about we're doing our commitment camp talks right now. And it's about, you know, that group's gone. And I talked to them about, you know, we're at Westfield and what state, Corby's first year, and went to the semis the next year, and then that group graduated. And I remember the talk in the staff meeting was, okay, we're going to see if we got a good group or if we got a program. And then next year, we went 13-1 and at Westfield. And I told them, I said, Westfield hadn't had a state championship yet. They've been knocking at the door, but they've been consistent other than about two years when Bikini first opened. They've been knocking at the door and been four semifinals. And they just hadn't gotten there yet, but they've been consistent. And I give credit to that 06 team because when they graduated, they kept it going. So that's the challenge for our kids now, yeah. especially as we move to 6A. You have to be able to keep that going because those guys are gone. That group that played four years here, they're gone. Now it's up to you. What are you going to do right. to continue that tradition? And that's exciting. I love what you said about talking about Westfield there, you know, do we have a team or a program? And I think that that should be all of our goals is that we're building up a program, not just one good team that we can all kind of get our ducks in a row to make one one run at it and then we fall off the next year or we're up and down. I mean, you know, you look at the top program, and I say that programs across the state, that's exactly what they are. They're programs year in, year out, you know, whether they have – you know, elite dudes or not, they're always in the hunt, always in the mix, kind of like what you're talking about with Westfield. That's exactly right. So that's a great uh, – I, I love that quote, and I, that's a great reminder for those of us who are seeking that, to seeking to build programs. I mean, I, I look at it and, you know, I look at – I've seen groups like, you know, I told my dad was at Lamar. They went six years in a row to the state championship. Yeah. It's, you think about it, it's like you cycle two groups out. And they still win, right? You know that's tradition. Well, coaches, we uh, as we get ready to close this thing out, let's. Uh, one thing that we've been doing to, to close out our episodes this year is is give uh, our, our guests a chance to um, shout out some coaches that that they feel are doing a great job coaching up their guys. And, and these can be D-line coaches or not, or and these can be guys who are actively coaching now or maybe retired or not not coaching currently. But talk about some coaches. Shout out some coaches who you think do a great job coaching up their guys. Well, no, uh, you know, my coach in high school that helped me, and I do a lot of those, a lot of stuff that I do is based on what he did with us. That's Coach Holmes that was at Galveston Ball. Um, he was, like I said earlier, he was like my uncle. He was my dad's defense coordinator. He was my D-line coach. And I use a lot of the same drills and and techniques that he showed us. And this was, I graduated in 1991. Yeah. And I still talk to him about ball. Um, you know, I got guy I worked with is at Deer Park, Patrick Sanders, the defense coordinator at Deer Park. I think I think he he had an outstanding year this year, knocked off some teams that were far more talented than he is. Um, but I, I had a chance to work with him a couple of times. I worked with him at the, at the Baytown Sterling. I worked with him at Fairway. Um, he's doing an outstanding job. Um, one guy that I, I feel like hadn't gotten the credit and and should get the credit that defense coordinator. Ray Garza is, you know, for the two years that I've been here, um, and I got a chance to coach against him. You know, he coached the D-line at Manville when I was at Paraland. Uh, I think he did an outstanding job, and he, he does a great job uh, with us. And, and he, you know, as a coordinator, a lot of times you want to be, you know, the guy – but Ray does a good job of, of listening and, 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 and asking for our input and being able to take all of that and, and mold it 
and where everybody kind of has a piece of that um, that game plan. Yeah. Um, and, and that's great. You know, I, I was a coordinator, um, and, and sometimes that's difficult. Um, but, you know, I think if they work, the best coordinators are the ones that don't necessarily have the egos. Yeah. And, it's, you know, and, and, you know, when you have a good staff, let the staff work. Well, Coach, uh, you're exactly right, and and, and uh, you know it's obvious that you are fortunate. You have been fortunate enough in your in your coaching career to be around some great coaches, including your dad, and including your coaching staff now at Shadow Creek. So, uh, we just want to uh, thank you so much for for talking with us today, and and uh, want to wish the, wish you the best of luck in, in 2020. And uh, we'll be following the Sharks, and and want to wish you and your son the best of luck this next year. Thank you, thanks for having me. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Uh, I appreciate it. And good luck to you. Uh, hopefully we'll see each other again. Yes, sir. Let's do it. In Dallas. Let's do it. All right, Coach. Let's we appreciate it. it. Thank you. Thanks again to Coach Drones for chatting with us today. Be sure to follow him on Twitter, at Coach Drones. Follow our show on Twitter as well, at KYPD Podcast. If you like what you heard today, give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. I always appreciate your feedback. Also, check out our Twitter feed throughout the week. Uh, for more on the things that Coach Drones talked about today and also great content throughout the week. Our quote of the day provided to us by Coach Drones comes from your boy Ray Lewis, Hall of Fame Baltimore Ravens linebacker. He says, I'm pissed off for greatness because if you ain't pissed off for greatness, that means you're okay with being mediocre. Whew, coaches, I tell you what, I- I'll add this. I don't think I don't think Ray would mind. Hey, if-, if you as a coach aren't pissed off for greatness, and how in the world do you expect your players to be? Remember, I love this quote, they won't be what they don't see. Oh yeah, also remember, tune in next week for a special episode, episode number 48, and most importantly, keep your pads down.